Well, we are starting a brand new series today called Christmas at the Gathering. Y'all, I, I love Christmas. It is Christmas time. It's December, so all you haters, you can't stop us anymore. We're going to Christmas so hard. Maybe, uh, you know, I feel like this year we kind of collectively decided as a society that Thanksgiving was just going to be a part of the Christmas holiday now. And we just rolled it all up into that. I've never seen so many people throwing up a Christmas tree on the second weekend in November in my life. Martin said last week that he and his family, they're decidedly post-Thanksgiving Christmas decorators. And I'm here to tell you that the red wines are decidedly pre-Thanksgiving Christmas decorators. Our tree has got dust on it. It has been up for so long, okay? We, we got to take the ornaments down and clean them before the Christmas gets here. We, we love it. We live, love this time of year, and, uh, and it, it's finally upon us, and we can just openly enjoy it. Uh, put on that Amy Grant, I'll Be Home for Christmas album, some Breath of Heaven coming up into this place today. My 90s people know. Um, <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, the Christmas season in the church, in the ancient Christian tradition, is when we celebrate something called Advent. Advent is the, is the Christmas time of year, and in the ancient tradition, there is a wreath with candles on it, and the four weeks leading up to Christmas, each week you light a candle and, it, it, and celebrate a different part of Christmas. Uh, this would be the second week of Advent, uh, Advent, which would be the candle of peace. Last week was the candle of hope. And uh, man, so grateful to my friend Martin Jones for bringing such a great message of hope last Sunday. If you missed it, you should go back and, and check it out. And uh, today is uh, the candle of peace. And uh, in the ancient Christian Christian tradition, we would be talking all about the Old Testament prophecies regarding the Messiah, which all point towards Jesus during this second week of Advent. And that is the spirit of this series that's going to lead us up to our Christmas Eve service. By the way, Christmas Eve service, make plans for your Christmas Eve right here at the gathering. We have a 4 o'clock service and a 5.30 service. We know you got Chick-fil-A nugget trays at home you got to get back to. Got to do your Christmas traditions, so we're trying to have them a little earlier this year, 4 o'clock and 5.30 on Christmas Eve. Uh, but as we are led up to Christmas Eve, I want to spend some time exploring these Advent ideas. Uh, peace, hope, uh, faith, all these things that we are learning about during the Advent season, but through the uh, Old Testament teachings on the Christmas story. Because I think it's fascinating. I think it's incredible that we can look in the, in the Bible and this story speaks the same thread all the way throughout. It's consistent. There is a clear picture of what God is going to do beginning in Genesis and going all the way through Revelation. It is a clear picture of his dream for you and for all of humanity. I'm fascinated by the Old Testament because I think it's amazing that in the Gospels, we see Jesus fulfill more than 300 prophecies, some of them thousands of years old. Those prophecies, they begin around 2000 B.C., and they go all the way up to 400 B.C., so from 
thousands to hundreds of years before Jesus, God was revealing the dream that he had for us, the plan that he had to create peace in our hearts, to to give us an opportunity to be in relationship with him. He started revealing it so long ago, and I'm just enamored with this idea that God had a plan for us, and that sometime Thousands of years before shepherds would wander up to a manger with a baby in it, God would begin to reveal this plan to his people to give them hope and to give us hope that there is a better day coming. It's amazing. Today I want to look at one of the most obvious moments when God revealed his master plan to humanity. It's this really ancient story takes place 4,000 years ago, over 2,000 BC, so long ago. It's the story of Abraham and Isaac. Abraham and Isaac. A little background. Genesis is wild, you guys. If you've never read Genesis, it is quite the trip. It it takes place, uh, we don't really know for sure how long of a time period it covers, but our best guess is a few thousand years in one book of the Bible. It opens with the creation of the earth and the story of Adam and Eve and their decision to sin, which separated humanity from God. Adam and Eve had this close relationship with God. They were together with him every day. And God said, hey, just don't eat this one fruit, okay? You can do anything you want. Just have so much fun, you know? Go, listen, just enjoy your life. Just don't do this one thing. And they were like, we're going to do the thing. And they did the thing. And now all of a sudden there's this, there's this separation between humanity and God, the relationship is broken. And so that story is in Genesis at the beginning, and then there's stories of their children. Uh, We talked just a couple weeks ago about Cain and Abel in here. That's in Genesis. And then there's Noah, and the ark is in Genesis. Which uh, After that, there's this wild story of a tower that people were building, trying to reach heaven with it. And, and, And it's unbelievable. You've got to read this book. And about 11 chapters in to the story of Genesis, we come in contact with this man named Abram, whom God would change his name to Abraham. And it's unbelievably important because it was through Abraham that God restored and restarted his relationship with humanity in an official capacity. In Genesis chapter 12, God shows up to Abraham and he makes him this promise And he says to him, I'm going to make you into a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. Now, Abraham is thrilled to hear this promise because he's longed for a child all of his life, and his life has gone on for a long time at this point. Abraham and his wife are well beyond childbearing years when this happens. I, we don't, I don't I like to, you know, use the term old, you know, it can be offensive, but these guys were advanced in years, okay? They had seen things. They had lived quite the life. By the time God delivers on this promise of a son, this promise of descendants to Abraham, Abraham is 100 years old, and his wife is 90 years old. When they heard that God was going to give them a son, his wife was like, look, I don't think you understand how biology works, God. I'm I'm very sorry. That just cannot happen here. And it did. It's this amazing miracle. And it's this dream that God has to use Abraham to create a relationship with humanity. 
Time goes by, a lot of things happen, uh, but God stays in relationship with Abraham all along the way. When they're 190, they give birth to this son and they name their son Isaac. Uh, it is Sarah's firstborn child because she's been unable to conceive even before she was advanced in age. It's an amazing story. Isaac is this culmination of a promise that God would make a nation out of Abraham. Isaac would have a son named Jacob who would be renamed Israel. Israel would have 12 sons that would father the 12 tribes of Israel. And one of those sons would be Judah. His tribe would bring us King David and would bring us Jesus, also called the Lion of Judah. So we're seeing the birth of the people group that would lead to Jesus and bring us all the way to where we are today. But at one point, it almost ended Right here in Genesis, in 2000 B.C., with Isaac. The story is in Genesis chapter 22. Let's read it together and talk about how it shows us the Christmas story. And it shows us what God had in mind all along. And he begins revealing it way back, 2,000 years earlier, in Genesis chapter 22. Let's begin in verse 1. It says, sometime later, God tested Abraham. And he said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. And then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah and sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. Okay, if you're new to church and you're new to the Bible, and I just talked about child sacrifice at 11 a.m. on a Sunday, let me just take a second to explain. Uh, God is not a proponent of child sacrifice. That is not something that he often talks about in the Bible. In fact, it's the only story about it. And I'm just, so that you're not stressed out, I'm gonna, he's not gonna, he's not gonna let Abraham kill this boy, okay? I just feel like you need to know that so that you're not stressed for the next couple minutes. In fact, God would even write into laws because this is 4,000 years ago. The world was a lot different. They were, they were less woke than we are today. And so they actually had to have a law to not sacrifice their children to a false god called Molech because it was a common practice to have a lot of kids and sacrifice one to a pagan god called Molech in order to preserve your other children. Molech would protect your other children if you would set. So they just picked their least favorite and that, that was that. And so this story is not that. Instead, it's a story about God revealing what he was willing to do for you, but what he would never ask for you to do for him. It's a different kind of story. In fact, the language that he begins to use, it actually mirrors the same language we see in the Gospels as we talk about Jesus. Take your son, your only son whom you love, Matthew 3.17, as Jesus is baptized, he comes up, and God says, this is my son, whom I love. John 3, 16, he says that for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Abraham had only one son, 
And God asked him to prove his love to him by sacrificing Isaac in place of his own sins. Now, this is what sacrifices were all about. The penalty uh, of death, the penalty of sin was death. And so when he calls it a burnt offering, that tells us that he's asking Abraham to lay Isaac on an altar to become an atoning sacrifice. In the book of Genesis, in the beginning, when sin enters the world, God says, don't eat from that one tree, because if you do, the punishment is death. They do it anyways, and now death is a part of their punishment, something they all have to deal with, something that we all have to deal with because of the decision that they made. And so there was a system created early on, even with Cain and Abel, that if you would sacrifice as a burnt offering the firstborn lamb, the best of your flock, that it could take your place and its death would satisfy your punishment. But it was temporary. You had to go through this many, many, many times in your life in order to continue to remain in relationship with God. Even the kind of tense relationship that it was. And so Abraham is being called to take his son, Isaac, and lay him on an altar as a burnt offering, as the atoning sacrifice for his sins. Verse 3. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. And he took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. On which day? On the third day. Three days. The connections to the gospel message are woven all throughout this story. He said to his servants, stay here with the, with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, Father, yes, my son. Abraham replied, this is a 4,000-year-old story. I know it's hard for us today to kind of try to put ourselves in it, but I want you to just imagine, if you will, for a second, the weight in these four words, three words. Father, yes, my son. The gravity, the realization, the understanding, the anxiety, the pain. The fire and the wood are here, said Isaac, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Dad? Yes, son. We got everything except for one thing. What are we sacrificing today? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. Now, Abraham, I don't think, is lying to his son here. I think he had faith and he had hope. He knew that God was good. God had proven himself to be good. But there was a lot of hope in those words. Verse 9, when they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac 
and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you've not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. And he went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. And so Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. The angel of the Lord called Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, God can't swear to God. He is God, so he has to swear to me. I, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. He's renewing his covenant. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies. And through your offspring, all nations on this earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Okay, so to break all of this down a little bit. Abraham is the father of the Jewish nation and the Jewish faith. Ultimately, our faith as well. He's the first man to enter into a relationship with God, a real one, since Adam. God asked him to sacrifice his only son as an atonement for his sin to prove his love for God. And he's going to go through with it. But at the last minute, an angel stops him and says, You've shown your love for God. Now go get that ram out of the bushes and you can sacrifice it instead to atone for your sins and Isaac's. 2,000 years before Jesus would be born on Christmas Day. Just as much time from Abraham to Jesus as it is from Jesus to today. Just to give you a little perspective, it feels like Jesus lived a long time ago to me. That's how long before he would be born this story takes place. 2,000 years before Jesus was born on Christmas Day, God is showing us what he is willing to do for us and why. A father willing to sacrifice his son not for his sins, but for the sins of the earth. A God who doesn't ask us to sacrifice ourselves or someone we love. A God who provides a ram in the bushes, a sacrifice for us that costs us absolutely nothing. 2,000 years before the first Christmas, God is revealing his plan to humanity. It was always there. It was there from the very beginning. He knew the path that would lead us to where we are. And in all these important intervals, he intervened. John 1.29 says, Behold, the Lamb of God come to take away the sins of the world. The Lamb of God and the ram in the shrubs. The miracle of Christmas is revealed all throughout the Bible. The good news of Jesus Christ is declared from Genesis to Revelation. 
all the way through, there is one consistent thread and one consistent story about how you have a creator and a father who loves you so deeply and so dearly that there is nothing he would not do in order to be in relationship with you. And he loves you so much that the moment that relationship was broken, he had a plan for it to be restored and revealed that plan from Genesis to Revelation. 2,000 years before it would come into fruition, he said, I'm going to show you what I'm willing to do for you to show you how much I love you. So here's three takeaways from today's story of Abraham and Isaac. Number one, God is the ultimate provider of peace. He's the ultimate provider of peace. The ram in this story and the lamb in the Christmas story represent undescribable peace. Can you imagine what Abraham must have been going through? To yearn for a child for a hundred years and then receive one only to be asked to give him back by your own hand. Imagine the anxiety, the mourning, the grief, the pain, the turmoil as he lay in bed that first night before they left. Imagine the long days on the trail. For three days they were walking, just the four of them, walking together. What were they talking about? Was Abraham able to talk? Or was he just solemn and silent for the whole journey, feeling the weight of the universe on his shoulders, trying to decide if he had the ability to do what God had asked him to do? Imagine what that must have felt like when his son said, Dad, where's the sacrifice? Imagine your child saying that to you. See, Abraham knew that God was real. He had spoken to God. He had seen God lay waste to Sodom and Gomorrah. He knew what happened to Lot's wife when she disobeyed God that day. He feared God. If you don't know what all those stories are, go read Genesis. It's wild. Abraham feared God, but he also trusted God and knew that his promises had proven faithful. That he did what he said he was going to do over and over and over again. Even things that seemed impossible became possible with God. He knew all of those things. But boy, was he afraid. I bet he couldn't sleep for days. He woke up. He walked up to this mountain. I wonder how long it took for Isaac to work up the courage to ask Abraham about where the sacrifice was. Isaac was pretty smart. He knew something was going on. He knew something was weird. His dad had been acting weird the whole time. There was no lamb or goat or anything like that. They'd never done that before. What, were they, what was happening right now? I wonder if he started to put the pieces together. I wonder if when Abraham laid him on the altar, did they struggle or did he just submit to it? It says he was bound and put on the altar. What was that like for him? Abraham, in his mind, committed to do it. He pulled the knife out and raised it. Imagine the storm taking place inside of him. The mess his heart was in. And then 
Abraham, stop. Don't harm the boy. There's a ram caught in the thicket. Go sacrifice that for your sins today. I wonder if you can imagine the peace that that ram brought to the heart of Abraham. I wonder if you can imagine the joy that that ram brought to the heart of Abraham. It was like like Isaac had been born all over again. It was like the promise had been delivered to him all over again. In his mind, this was happening. His heart was just a, a storm of turmoil and anxiety and unrest, grief. And then unspeakable peace delivered in a moment. And that is what Jesus is in the manger on Christmas morning. The Lamb of God, just as the ram in the shrubs. The Lamb of God on Christmas morning brings that same kind of peace, not just to Abraham, but to all of humanity. The angels declared it. Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth. Peace. To those on whom his favor rests. He was called the Prince of Peace. And he came to us at just the right moment to take our place on the altar of sacrifice. Romans 5, 6 says, you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, at just the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. At just the right moment for you, for me. He was on the altar instead of me. Can you imagine the peace? Our God is a God of peace. The Christmas time and the Christmas Advent time and the Christmas story is a story of peace. Not just because, you know, it's, there's no fighting on Christmas. And, and we agree we're not going to fight wars or, or we're not getting in any bar fights on Christmas. And it's a crime of peace because we had that one uncle over for dinner that we said we're not going to hang out with them anymore. But we had them anyways because it's Christmas and it's a time of peace. It's, it's a bigger peace than all of that. It's a bigger peace than just seeing a still mountain snow freshly fallen before anybody steps on it. It's a bigger peace than all that. That stuff's great if it reminds us of the real peace of Christmas. Because the real peace of Christmas is that we were bound and tied up on an altar. And then something else took our place. He came and provided the sacrifice so that we wouldn't have to. And we could have all of that turmoil and that storm that raged inside of us and all of the things that were at war within us could be laid to rest. And we could have peace on Christmas Day. He is the God of peace and he is the provider of peace. Number two, second thing I want us to see here in this story is that God has always had a plan. He's always had a plan. The ancient story that we read this morning, so clearly depicting the sacrifice and substitution of Jesus, is some of the clearest evidence that we can see in Scripture that God has always had a plan. Even when it didn't look like he had a plan, he had a plan. He had a plan for Abraham. Abraham had no idea what it was. He was terrified. God had a plan. He had a plan in place. In the story, God reveals that he has a plan for atonement. He has a plan for peace. He has a plan of his sacrifice 2,000 years. Abraham did not in his lifetime get to find out what all of that really meant. And neither did 
millions of other people for thousands of years until Christmas morning happened. But God had a plan. The entire time, God had a plan. 2,000 years of separation appears to us now as it did to God then. Just a few pages of difference. We consider the Bible often as a whole as a story and we can see the obvious similarities between this test of Abraham and what God would ultimately do through his own son at Calvary. And then we can see in that perspective that God was showing us how far he was willing to go and what it would cost him in the process. We can see that because we have the whole picture. None of these people did. You imagine if the servants were like, should we do something? Should we say something? Seems like he's going to kill Isaac. They didn't know, and they would never know. None of them would. See, a lot of times we go through our lives and we're wondering if God is even aware of what we're dealing with or where we're going or what's happening. And we forget that God's got the whole book already. And all we get to see is just a couple lines at a time. God has a plan. He's had a plan from the very beginning. He made this covenant with Abraham that he reaffirmed at the end of this story. Verse 17, he says, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies and through your offspring, all nations on the earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Genesis chapter 22, verse 18, through your offspring, all nations on the earth will be blessed, is God revealing his plan to include me in the story. Me, someone who was not born of the Jewish heritage or faith, folded in. Why? Because of Jesus. He's not just talking about all the great-grandchildren Abraham would have. He's talking about the way he was going to fold all of humanity into the story. In Acts chapter 3, it says, You are the heirs of the prophets and of the covenant God made with your fathers. He said to Abraham, Through your offspring, all peoples on earth will be blessed. And when God raised up his servant, he sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. He's preaching to a crowd of Jewish people and saying, God raised up one of you to save the earth, and he's going to use all of you to tell everyone else about him. God had a plan thousands of years in advance, and it's unfolding even right now in this room today. Through the descendants of Abraham, he started something that he would continue to work on until the day Jesus comes back for a second time. God has a plan. And it's been in motion long before you or I showed up, and it is not even finished yet. Maybe what you need in order to receive peace this Christmas is to be reminded that you are not some random accident and that your future is not on some random path to who knows where. You have the opportunity to step right into the plan and the purpose that God has had in your very creation says to the prophet Jeremiah, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. God knew what his plans were for Jeremiah. And it's not just Jeremiah that he knows his plans for. He knows his plans for me. He knows his plans for you. He has written them already. Ephesians says that God has good works prepared in advance for us to do. 
There's a lot of things that happen in this life that we blame on God that probably don't have anything to do with him. We say, well, it's God's plan. Well, it might have just been a bad decision. I don't think he's mapped out what you're going to have for lunch today. So you're going to have to order that on your own. I don't think it works that way. I don't think that's what Scripture teaches. It's not, not like that. But it does tell us that there was always a plan. See, sometimes bad things happen not because they're part of God's plan, but because we live in a fallen world and just bad things happen. But rather, God has a goal in mind for you, a purpose in mind for you. Just as he had one in mind for all of humanity. Just as he had one in mind for Abraham. As he had one in mind for Jeremiah. As he's, he's designed you exactly the way that he needs you in order to make that goal a reality. God has created you with specific gifts, passions, desires, longings. Ways that he wants to use you to grow his kingdom and reveal what he's done for us on Calvary, the story of Jesus to the world. And he's made you a part of that story. That's his plan and his purpose for you. And it's tailored to you, but it's the same plan for all of humanity. At the gathering, one of our goals is to help you discover your place in that plan, your place in that purpose. We want to help you discover your purpose. That's what we start over there in step one every Sunday. And what we hope to carry on with you as we get to know you more and we work side by side together to accomplish the purposes of the kingdom of God alongside one another. We're discovering our place in this plan that God wrote into existence thousands of years ago and that he's already seen come into fruition. And that journey can start with a simple question. And number three is this. What has God called you to that just doesn't make a lot of sense? What has God called you to that just doesn't make a lot of sense to you, to the world? Abraham had been given a promise that involved God multiplying his descendants. And then God called him to sacrifice his one and only descendant. But it's because God had a larger lesson he was teaching and a bigger statement he was making. Abraham may not have ever even gotten to know why he went through this horrible ordeal. God was revealing something that was going to happen 2,000 years in the future. Generations heard this story for millennia and believed it was only about God testing the faithfulness of Abraham. But God already knew that Abraham was faithful. That is why he blessed him with a son. It's a part of what he was doing. It's not the whole of it. It was about God testing the faithfulness of Abraham and about God revealing the sacrifice only he would have to make. It was about God saying to us that he would be willing to give more than he would ever ask for you to give. God does this a lot. Calls people to do things that don't make any sense to them. He called John the Baptist out into the wilderness to start baptizing people in the name of the coming Messiah and declaring, prepare the way of the Lord. He was eating locusts. He was wearing animal skins. Everybody thought he was nuts. But God had a purpose in it. God called Mary to carry this child and raise him. 
that she would one day have to watch be sacrificed. God called Joseph to be his earthly father and trust that all of this odd things, like a virgin birth, was a part of God's plan. See, the Christmas story from start to finish is filled with people being led to do things that didn't make sense, but that would ultimately change the world. And I wonder what God is leading you to do today that would change the world around you. Maybe it's time for you to trust in him. Proverbs 3 Verse 5 says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your, on your own understanding because you may not understand where God is taking you, what he is doing, what he's called you to, the sacrifice he's asked you to make, the changes he's inviting into your life, the risks he wants you to take on behalf of his kingdom, the, the places he wants you to step into to serve, the dreams that he's unveiling before you. You may not ever understand it, but in all your ways, submit to him and he will make the path straight. God is the bringer of peace. He's always had a plan. And you have always been a part of it. His ultimate plan for you is pretty simple. It's plainly spelled out in the Bible over and over and over again. He wants you to be in relationship with him, to know him more, and then to lead other people to be in relationship with him and teach them his ways. Lead them to know him more and more and more. That's always been the plan. It's what everything points to. I wonder if you're in here today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, maybe you're living right now with that anxiety, that unrest that storm going on inside of you, wondering what the point of all of it is. It's your pur purpose in this life, your place in this life. I want you to know that there is, there is one who has had you in mind since you were formed in your mother's womb. He's willing to sacrifice his son on your behalf. He's not asked you to do anything other than to reach out and accept his outstretched hand, accept the gift of Jesus, the sacrifice that he's already laid out for you and enter into relationship with him. God cares so deeply about his relationship with you that he began writing that story at the very beginning. Thousands of years ago, God was writing the story of how he would have a relationship with you. And so if you're ready to begin that relationship today, every head bowed, every eye closed, it's just, you start with the prayer. You start by saying, yes, thank you. It goes like this. Just say it with me. Pray it with me. Heavenly Father, forgive me for my sin. Forgive me for trying to do it on my own. I see that you had a plan for me. And I need you. And I believe in you. And I believe in the sacrifice you made for me. And so all that I am, from this day on, I am yours. Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.